so much, those on the platform. And uh, <laughs> you'll have to bear with me tonight. I don't know if it was Vince on his way out that gave me his cold or somebody else, but I got it. And and so um, it kind of hinders a little bit. I did uh, hear from Vince this morning. They were going to make the last 13 hours all in one day. They should be in Milwaukee either already or very, very soon. And so be praying for them. I want you to open to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 2. Just leave your Bibles open. We'll skip around a little bit here. And we're going to uh, talk about a subject that has almost become obsolete in today's religious world. Uh, But it is very much still a biblical call to every generation. Now, this world has a lot of tentacles, and they reach in every direction, snagging anyone that gets close to it. And when Jesus preached to the seven churches that we find in the book of Revelation, he said to the church of Sardis in Revelations 3, 2 through 4, Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. and You will not know what hour I come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, that have not defiled their garments. and They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So here's a church that the world has infiltrated And Jesus makes it clear their need of repentance. But it was noted that there are a few in that church that did not defile themselves. Now God's calling to everyone that will name the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior is a call to consecration. This is something that is horribly lacking in today's brand of Christianity, and I want to preach on this subject tonight on the necessary consecration at a first Peter chapter one, and beginning in verse thirteen, you follow with me. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in Let's jump over to chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also... As living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
And then we're going to go to verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have obtained mercy, but now had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they have observed, glorify God in the day of visitation. The necessary consecration. I want to first talk about our our representation of Jesus. You know, as Christians, we are representatives of Jesus Christ. Now, in this text, Peter refers to you and I and the church as a whole as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a chosen generation, and God's own special people. Now, the call for all of us in light of that is found in verse 16. Where Peter says, and he's quoting from the Old Testament, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. Now, when we repent and we come to Christ, the Bible tells us he gives us the power to become sons of God. So what we're dealing with is a people who represent Jesus Christ on the earth. Now, there are those who poll religious interests, and they include the likes of George Gallup, the Barna Research, Princeton Religious Research Center, and Christianity Today. And they all indicate that evangelical Christianity is becoming increasingly worldly, and it is more and more becoming a mere mirror of secular society. Now, I don't think we need research centers to figure this out. Worldliness in churches and among professing Christians is becoming more and more obvious by the day, even in our own midst. But being that we're using these studies, I might as well read one of them. You have to understand every study has a 10 or so year difference from the time we are to when it was taken because it takes that much time to do a study. So this is a little bit old, but it's the most up to date. And it came out of the issue of emerging trends. It was published by Princeton Religion Research Center. And it bore the headline, Religion is gaining ground, but morality is losing ground. Positively, it notes that adult weekly church attendance increased from 38% to 44%. That was up 6% in a four-year period. The same is true of teenage students, only higher from 42% to 53%. An increase of 11% in four years. There's also an uptrend in adult Bible reading weekly or two or three times weekly from 18% to 26%. But at the same time, one Gallup poll indicates that 78% say that our moral values are somewhat weak or very weak and that morals are in decline. So this was corroborated by a study by the Evangelical Alliance, which is a British counterpart to uh, National Association. 
And they found that one-third of evangelicals between the ages of 18 and 35 say they have no problem with unmarried men and women living together. One Christian college president here in the U.S. confided to a Christianity Today editor that the most perplexing puzzle he and his staff were facing regarding their present student body was that student leaders were outspoken in their Christian commitment, yet living with a girlfriend or boyfriend. So the point of all this is the total lack when it comes to people representing Jesus Christ in a biblical manner. You know, a lot of people out there sounding their alarms, we're Christians, we're, but, but the lifestyles aren't quite lining up with it. Now listen to what God told his people through Moses. In the book of Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 3, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So this is what God is looking for from his people. And before you go and say, Well, you know, that was the Old Testament, as if somehow... The Old Testament of the Bible has no sway on us anymore. But this is the very message that Peter is preaching in this epistle in the New Testament. Where do you think he got the phrase, be holy for I'm holy? He got that from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Yeah, the law. Peter's taking something from the law and he's actually bringing it into New Testament theology And in Leviticus 11.44, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. That means set yourselves apart for God. And you shall be holy for I am holy. In Leviticus 19.2, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And again in Leviticus 20 verse 7, consecrate yourselves therefore And be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. So Peter is reaching all the way back to this Old Testament time of the law. And he's bringing it forward into New Testament theology and saying God hasn't changed one bit. How many are with me? Hadn't changed one bit. How he requires you and I to approach him and the lifestyle, he hadn't changed one bit. Now, this means that our representation of Jesus Christ is based upon this quality of holiness and the idea of consecration. Now, holiness and consecration, you don't hear much of that in today's preaching. But this is Peter's whole premise, that the entire passage is based upon these two themes, holiness and consecration. And these two words place great emphasis upon lifestyle. One thing that people just seem to be loose about any old way, come and go as you please, say what you want, act how you want, and we're still Christians. But he's placing emphasis upon lifestyle. And if you know anything about the Old Testament law, God would teach them how to differentiate between the clean and the unclean. This was one of the reasons that that he put in place a law concerning what kind of animals you could eat were considered clean 
and what kind you could not eat. Now we know that that was all washed away in the book of Acts when Peter saw the vision. But the reason he did that, he was trying to teach them that God lays certain lines of clean and unclean. And God's the one that decides this. We don't decide this. If you're going about life determining what's good, bad, right, and wrong on your own, you're missing it. It's done right here for you. So Israel's coming out of this pagan land, and God is now leading them, but they only knew the lifestyle of Egypt, which is the equivalent of you and I when we were in the world before Jesus Christ. There were no boundaries set for them. They would indulge in what they wanted to indulge. They would do what they wanted to do. So the very first thing that God does is he brings them to a mountain. He sets a boundary around the mountain. He says, if you touch the boundary, you're going to die. Now you say, that doesn't, what's the big deal of just touching because God said, don't do it. And so therefore, God said, don't do it. So that means we don't do it because God said, don't do it. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you or not. That's what God said. And then he takes Moses on this same mountain and he writes the Ten Commandments in stone. And now the thou shall not of their new life are in place. Now, one thing you're going to have to understand if you're going to represent Jesus Christ, there are some thou shalt nots involved. This is the whole idea behind these two words, holiness and consecration. This is what Peter is saying. And in our text in verse 14. He says. Not conforming yourself. To the former lust. The way you used to live. What you came out of. Uh, that you're no longer in that. In verse 17. Conduct yourselves. Throughout the time of your stay here. In other words. While we're on this earth. Your time of your stay here in fear. In other words. In carefulness. Not just any old way. Anything goes, just whatever the spontaneous impulse of the moment. But with carefulness. And in chapter 2, verse 1, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. You know, it's amazing how clear that this is in Scripture. But how many professing Christians have their own self-proclaimed theology And how they can skirt around personal holiness and consecration. So I want to talk secondly about the necessary consecration. So in our text, in 1 Peter 2.5, he says, Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter's once again drawing from the Old Testament. And he gives here the imagery of the Old Testament sacrifices. And if you understand that part of the Bible, God was very particular in exactly how you were to offer a bull or a ram or a goat or a bird. You couldn't just come and say, here it is, and chop it in pieces, throw it up there. It didn't work that way. There were certain pieces of fat that were, one was connected to the liver and there were certain lobes uh, and there was a certain part of, that had to be washed. And there was a way that God said it needs to be done. So, so Peter's drawing upon this now. And in, he was also particular 
about how you handled the fire that was associated with that altar in the Old Testament. So we find in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3, the Nadab and Abihu, these are the sons of Aaron, Aaron the high priest. They each took their censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. So here's a case of Aaron's two sons. They treated holy things as common. They disregarded God's commandments and did what's right in their own eyes, and it cost them their life. Now, this is the whole era that Peter's drawing from. Okay? New Testament theology. Okay? So there's still this sobering element of God at work when we're talking about consecration. So Peter says we are to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus. This means that there are still things that God requires of us even under the New Testament covenant. God still requires things of us. It isn't the greasy grace being preached today in so many churches that somehow because of grace it just covers us. Everything, there's no requirements because after all, any requirement would mean that we're still living under the law. But see, Peter debunks that whole thing in this whole portion of scripture. And he takes us to task on the very issue of that theology. According to what Peter is preaching, that there are things that are not acceptable. God says, offer the things that are acceptable, spiritual things. That means that there are things that are not acceptable in the Christian conduct that God is telling us about. We're talking about consecration. And here's the thing. God does not leave the interpretation to us. That we just fill in the blank on how we would like. But he he mentions some specifics here. And so I want to go into a few specifics. I want to highlight in particular three areas of consecration that are required, that are necessary for consecration that apply to you and I today as we sit here in this assembly. The first of those has to do with the consecrating of our words, something every one of us uses every single day God requires consecration from. You're not at liberty to just speak whatever the heck you want out of your pie hole. But the expectation is that there would be a consecration of our words. Because words and conversation are a great indicator of our hearts. Think about what Jesus said in Mark 7, 20 through 23. He said that what comes out of a man, that's what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So you can tell a lot about a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth. 
It's, it's, it's quite an indicator, I would say. And the curse of an entire generation of Israelites was the words they spoke. They spoke words of unbelief, and the Bible in the book of Hebrews called it an evil heart of unbelief, all because of the words they spoke. And in our text, he speaks of the things that he says you need to cut out of your life and read it there. It's it's in uh, verse 1. He says evil speaking is one of those. So one of the things that need to be cut out of your life has to do with your words. The content of your conversation. Because God expects consecration in our conversation. And what I find, before I get ahead of myself, so we find a, a segment written to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named among you. In other words, don't even let there be a hint of, of sexual uncleanness. It's not fitting for the saints. But then listen to what he says. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or coarse jesting, which is coarse joking, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So what I found very interesting here is that side by side, Paul mentions fornication, sexual sin, and foolish talking and coarse jesting. That's pretty revealing if you ask me. You know, it's one thing to joke around a little and, and, and keep it clean and keep it spiritual. But he, he's talking about foolish talking, that senseless, stupid or foolish or coarse jesting. And, and the New Living Translation says obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. The Living Bible, dirty stories, foul talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. And the message translation, although I don't like the message, but I do for this one. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, Christians have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk does not fit our style. All along, remembering the words of Jesus when he said, Every idle word men speak, they will give an account of in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, by your words you will be condemned. And that should make us very, very careful when it comes to the things that we text about and chat about. Because we get ourselves in a lot of carnal, worldly, vulgar situations through texting and chatting. You don't have to say amen, I'll just say it for you. Amen. Because I see a lot of it. Because that's the, to be as polite as I can, the dumbness of the thought process, especially of young people. That they're chatting all this nonsense out there like as if it's not going to be intercepted. Are you crazy? Consecrating your words. That's what God expects. Second area is the consecrating of our actions. In 1 Peter 2 verse 12, having your conduct... Honorable among the Gentiles, that would be the unsaved, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. 
So our testimony as Christians has to do with our actions that people watch. Your actions mean something. How you conduct yourself. And far too many Christians are far too loose in their conduct with one another. And I would say even more specifically in their conduct with the opposite sex. You know, there is an kind of an ethic, if you would, when it comes to conducting yourself in the presence of the opposite sex. But many just blow those barriers right out of the way and just go about their business. And in, the, in our text, in, in 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. It's actually not our text. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works will be burned up. So therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Knowing that judgment's coming, <laughs> you know? Knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again, which some people, ah, there they go again with the Jesus stuff. Well, I don't know, man. When you're left behind and lamenting with a lament that's worse than anything you've ever felt, you'll, you'll be remembering these sermons you've heard. How should you be conducting yourself? That's what he says. How should you be living? And in our text, 1 Peter 2.9, we, his own special people, should proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that contrast? The Bible uses that a lot. Darkness, light. There's no, there's no way anybody can miss the difference between darkness and light. You can be as ignorant as the day is long, but people know the difference between darkness and light. And this is what he's saying is the difference from a Christian life from an unchristian, unsaved life is the difference between darkness and light. He's called us out of darkness. And so lifestyles that declare clearly and unequivocally that we have been called out of darkness and now live in the light. And the Bible tells us in, and I'm going to read the NIV for this, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteous and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's a false god. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And they're all rhetorical questions. The answer is there are no common places. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate. There's the consecration. Says the Lord, do not touch the unclean thing. I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You know, there is no such thing as a nightclubbing Christian. A fornicating Christian, a dope-smoking Christian, 
There's no such thing. You made it up. It's in your head. It doesn't exist. Not in this book it doesn't. Show me where it says I can't smoke dope. See, that's how dumb marijuana makes you. Because it's all about lifestyle, folks. Consecrated conduct. The third area of consecration is consecrated minds. First Peter 1.13, our text. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. The NIV says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. We think because our minds are private is no big deal. Private from who? God knows every thought you think. Everything that goes on in your head, God's very aware of. And God expects our thoughts to be pure. Doesn't mean there won't be moments of fiery darts, but you quench those fiery darts. And in 2 Peter 3, 1, Beloved, now I write to you in the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds, by the way of reminder, your pure minds. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down arguments in every high thing. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation that would guard your mind. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Our minds. The consecrating of our minds, our thoughts. You cannot avoid the clear scriptural call to a consecrated mind, a consecrated thought life. Self-control in your thoughts. See, that's where the scripture in Matthew 5.28 comes in, that if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your, your heart. It's, it's that you give yourself over to that. It becomes a little world, a secret world and inside of your head that's constantly, you don't judge it, you don't cast it off, you don't push it away, it's there. And the NIV says in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13, for the word of God, it's living and active. So this that I'm preaching tonight, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of a heart. The Word of God knows your thoughts. And God requires consecrated minds. So let me close with fulfilling our calling. We must continually be reevaluating our walk with God, no matter how long we've been doing this. It's so easy. To become carnal and worldly so easy. We can just go with it and make excuses or we can put ourselves in check. Judge ourselves. The problem is when a brother or sister comes along and says, you know, that's carnal. That's being worldly. That's crossing lines. Instead of considering their words, you attack them and accuse them of being over spiritual. 
as a way to cover up your carnality. It's true. Now, I mentioned something in Sunday school, and I noticed some people that I don't think they understood it or they thought, what do you mean? That doesn't make sense. What I said is I was talking about I have a kind of a philosophy of dealing with things when they come before me. If they're there and they come before me and I have them in front of me, I, I typically will deal with it right then. Because usually I said most, a lot of people that come before a pastoral figure, as you just say it, aren't, aren't themselves. And, and so I guess I could have left that to being, what do you mean? Yo, I'm, I'm myself. But what I meant by that was normally they, they don't show the same carnality that will come out with their brethren when they're hanging out, right? Or around their spouse. They'll, they'll not indulge in the carnal jesting and joking that they normally do, if they do, not everybody does it, but that they'll do around others they feel that they can get away with it with. But every once in a while, and it'll happen, they're there, and they they they... Slip up, and there it is, and bam, I'm on it. That's what I meant. Got to continually reevaluate our walk with God. And in our text, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. How many know it means something to belong to God? That you may declare the praises of Him, has called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that When they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on that day that he visits. See, here's our calling as God's people. We are to carry a certain distinction upon us as the people of God. Our lives are to be lived as those that have been called out of darkness. We are to abstain from fleshly desires that war against our soul. We're to conduct ourselves as God's holy people. Are you doing that? Because in our text in 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. See, here's what consecration requires us as the people of God. That we lay aside certain things and show strong desire for God's word and exhibit continual growth in the things of God. See, consecration isn't just stop. You know, even Christianity is not just about stopping things. Because you can stop things all day long. But if you don't start some new things, you're, you're not going anywhere. It'll be short-lived. And you always wonder, man, why can't I overcome this? I, I do good for a little while, and then, bam, there I am. Well, consecration involves doing some things, too. And it's right here in the Scripture. As a newborn babe that desires that milk, 
They always want more of that milk. That you desire the word of God. See, that's what will keep you. That's what will keep you growing and enlarging in the things of God. And God help us if we're remaining entrenched in our carnal habits and carnal conversation and worldly orientations through all the preaching we get. If you can remain the same, I'm sorry, but your heart's not right. It's not. Now, what level it's not right, I'm not the ultimate judge of that. But you're definitely going in the wrong direction. See, we are God's holy people, called by His name, and that needs to be very evident in our lives on a daily basis. How you talk, whether you forgive or not, your actions, your thoughts, your overall behavior, whether you're growing in God's Word, are you putting away evil speaking, slander, and gossip? Are you growing further away from the world and closer to God the longer that you serve Him? Because that is the necessary consecration. This is the evidence of a consecrated life. We're growing further away from the world and closer to God the longer. Not, well, we kind of got ten years down the road and then we just kind of start going back to the world. No, we're still growing more separate from the world, more separate from the world. And it's, it's a lifelong battle, folks. It's not something you're going to win in one moment, in one victory, in one sermon. It's, it's lifelong. Why do you think we keep preaching this stuff over and over again? Just because it's, it's our battle. It's all of our battle. This is what we have to deal with until Jesus comes back. Consecration is not a one-time thing. It is a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ to, And I have just preached to you a sermon on consecration out of the New Testament. So for those whose theology was all based on, that's the law, that's the law. Well, no, that's the gospel. And if you'll take it, God will set you free. And your life will be renewed day by day. Amen. Let's bow our heads together. As we bow our heads, close our eyes, allow God, let's allow God to break through. He wants to help you tonight. This sermon is not to hurt you, it's to help you. We all need this. We all need this. There's not a one of us here that doesn't need this. You're sitting in this place and you're not right with God. This is the greatest opportunity of your entire life. You've been searching and looking and doing all sorts of nonsense. But now, God has your attention. And if you'll surrender your life to Christ, I'm telling you, He'll forgive you, He'll change you. Break the curse of sin. You know, that revolving door, just same old, same old. You you get out of one thing, you get addicted to another thing. Bondages, anger, addictions, all sorts of things. Filthy minds, bad relationships. That's the best you're going to get without Jesus. But tonight, God is offering you something this world cannot give you. And you can see immediate results. I'm not saying everything in life's going to be gone and everything's going to be brand, brand new. But inside of you it will be. That's what happened to me when I became a Christian. Oh, I still had to battle a lot of things. I still had to make some hard decisions. But, man, I'll tell you, I, I prayed and I asked Jesus in my life. And I'm telling you, something radical changed in me. I mean, I used to crave certain types of sin and had desires, and they were gone. I didn't want them anymore. 
Just the thought of it made me want to puke. But I really, really meant it, and I really did surrender to Jesus Christ. And if you'll do that tonight, I'll tell you, God will do something in your life so fantastic, so powerful. You're here, and you're not right, and you're ready to get right before you leave this place. You're ready to get your name written in that book that God holds, that one day when you die and you face him, and the Bible says the books are opened, that's the book. It's the Lamb's book of life. Your name can only get in that book by repenting of your sins and living for Jesus Christ. If your name's not in that book, when you die and you face God, you're going to be turned away from making it into heaven. And you'll be forever cast into outer darkness. But God is here to deliver you tonight through Jesus Christ. To save your soul from damnation. If you'll come to Christ, you say, you know what, that's me. That's where my life is. I'm ready to get right tonight. I want you to lift your hand up so I can see it. And I want to pray with you and and lead you to Jesus tonight. That's what you need. You recognize it right now. This is your moment. This is your time. All I want you to do is just lift your hand up so I can see it. And then you can put it right back down. Thank you right here. Thank you right here. Who else? As soon as I see it and acknowledge it, you can put it right back down. Anybody else? God's dealing with you. You're not right. You're not right. There ought to be a fear about dying and going into eternity without Jesus Christ. But you can get right tonight. Today is the day of salvation. Lift your hand. Let us pray with you. Who else with these honest hearts? I'm not right, but I'm ready to get right tonight. Lift your hand up all across this place. God is dealing with you. You may be backslidden. There's no worse and more miserable place to be in than backslidden because you know the truth. You've lived it and tasted it. And you know that if you die in your current state of sin, you're going to end up in hell. And God is trying to get a hold of you tonight. Change that in your life. Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you. Put it up so I can thank you so much. Who else? Others, God's dealing with you right now. Put away your religion. Stop quoting the Bible. Are you living it? Are you living it? Because that's what this is all about. Living for Jesus Christ. Who else? I'm not right. I'm ready to get right. Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you. He wants to bring you to himself tonight. This is your moment to be changed, eternally changed. Lift your hand up so we can pray with you. Who else? God's dealing with you. Very quickly, God's dealing with you. Thank you very much. Who else? Lift your hand up. Put it right back down. God's dealing with you. I need to get right tonight. Pray with me. I'm ready for Jesus. Who would that be? Anybody here? Thank you so much. Who else? God's dealing with my heart. God's dealing with me. I've backslidden in my heart. You may still be here present, but your heart's not here. And God says, I want it back. You're ready to surrender it to Jesus tonight. Lift your hand up. Who's that? God's dealing with you. You're here in presence, but your heart's not here. You're not right, but you're ready to get right tonight. Surrender to Jesus. Lift your hand up all across this place. Okay, all of those that lifted your hand, would you look at me eye to eye? Did you mean that here tonight? Did you mean that? You clearly understood. You meant that here there was somebody else. You may, I want you all to come. Meet me at this altar. We have brethren coming, sisters coming. They're going to pray with you. God is going to help you tonight. Every other head is bowed for just a few more moments. We're talking about a topic that you're not going to hear a lot of in today's religious circles. But yet it's the topic that God is highly concerned about. Consecration. Holiness. And I pray, I pray, I pray 
that there really is a Holy Ghost conviction here tonight upon hearts. I specifically mentioned three areas, the consecration of your words, your actions, and your minds. God may be dealing with you tonight. This is something we have to keep up to date constantly. It's so easy to slip. It's so easy to just let carnality reign, worldliness. I mean, it's so easy. But can the Word of God convict you tonight? Realign ourselves again and again until Jesus comes back. We're going to stand to our feet. If there's somebody here that is a visitor, you take time to minister. Otherwise, I'm asking you to come and meet me at this altar. And let's make this an altar of consecration, an altar of renewal tonight. Uh, there are things that we have to realign with God's holiness. It isn't, He did not give us the ability to interpret. He gave it to us in the Word. It's there in the Word. And it's clearer than we say it is. Directing us. Speaking to us. Dealing with us. Consecration. Every one of us needs this continually. As long as we have to live in this body of flesh and live in the spirit of this world, we're going to need to renew this continually. We get so used to just kind of coming and going as we please and do whatever impulsive thing happens at the moment, saying whatever we want to say, holding whatever grudge we want to hold. And and God says, no, that's not consecration. That's unacceptable. There are certain things that God says are unacceptable behavior. You don't have to be fornicating to be an unacceptable behavior. You could just simply be being a gossip. You can just be holding a grudge or not forgiving someone. You could be harboring all sorts of things that, that maybe in action you're not doing anything, but God's judging your mind, God's judging your words, and He's judging your actions. God help us to continue to realign ourselves. It's a lifelong task, church. It's not something you're going to just one time, I got it, finally I got it. No, you got it maybe right now. But you have to get it again tomorrow. And get it again the next day and, and live it again and again and again. And it comes from Christ. It isn't something we produce within ourselves. It comes through the, the Bible. God's living word. If you've just come and you're in the habit of hearing sermons and, and, you know, if it just happens to be compelling enough, you'll respond. You know, there's something that's deadening inside of your life. Something that's going amiss if the word of God is not something that you desire as a babe desires the milk of the word. Oh, God, help us tonight, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Oh, God, have access to our hearts tonight by your Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Ghost conviction, Lord, that would align us with your holiness tonight. Oh, God, 
Hallelujah, my Lord and my Savior. Ki alaba sibi ki alabando roshibi ki yaleremende. Oh, mighty is your name, holy Lord, worthy. Oh, you need to touch heaven tonight. Consecration happens at altars. Happens in prayer meetings. Happens in time when you're spending it alone with God. Lord, help us. That we would continue to judge ourselves of our own worldliness and of our own carnal habits. We all have them. We all have them. Different levels, different degrees, but they're there. We have to recognize them and deal with them and judge them continually lest they they become a status and then somehow we've justified it and we think we're okay. And God help the person that would dare to point it out in your life because you'll chastise them the rest of your life. That's what some of your problem is. Nobody can speak into you. Nobody can tell you anything. Can't ever point out any flaw in your life. You just go berserk. You lose it or you cut them off or you chastise them or you go into character assassination mode. God help us. We need each other. We need the input of one another. We need the eye of one another because we don't always do everything right. Thank you, Lord. Touch heaven tonight. Touch heaven. Enter into that holy place that we sing about. You know, that was all about Isaiah the prophet, and he's caught up in God's presence and in his holiness. It was so overbearing because in his carnal state, he couldn't handle it. It was too much. That's what we need. That's the type of visitation we need in our lives that we realize as Peter standing before Jesus knelt down, oh God, I'm a sinful man. He had a revelation in that moment. That's what we need. That's what we need. Why don't you stand to your feet? Lift your hands. We're going to sing this song together. We're going to contend for God's holiness. Don't go back to your seats. Just stay where you're at. Lift your hands at this altar. Where we're consecrating, we're coming as a living sacrifice before a holy God. And I want you to act that way tonight as we sing this song of worship. Oh, God, have right of way tonight. and begin to worship God tonight. Father, we thank you. We worship you in honor, Lord. Oh, God, you are our Redeemer and you're mighty before us. And your name, oh, God, is great. 
Worthy is the Lamb, worthy, hallelujah. Ikondi biki aramasando rebeke. Oh God, you are holy, you are faithful. Your name is great and greatly to be praised. Ikondi bi aramasando robokoreshe. Hallelujah, worthy, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. You are mighty before us. Hallelujah, Redeemer of all. Oh, God, we thank you for your goodness and your long suffering. Hallelujah. Worthy, O oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank God. Amen. It's what we need. It's the necessary consecration. We need to live it every single day. It needs to be our ambition, our desire. Read words, God's word every day. Have prayer meetings. Amen. Take the input from others. Let's, let's be that body that God's called us to be. Those holy people. Those people called by His name. That means something. That's not just any old thing, any old way. Nuh-uh. Some of you, the way you speak to each other in your marriage, oh my gosh. You need to get saved. It's just not right. It's just not right. But you know what? If we'll consecrate our words dedicate our hearts God will help us he'll set us free and he'll be Lord in our lives amen thank you Jesus we're going to close it right there big weekend lots going on Bible studies and youth and um, as well going into Saturday we have outreach we're going to be outreaching for the revival and for the rock the mic which is happening on Saturday night and back in church all day Sunday amen so let's bow our heads let's dismiss thanking God rejoicing All that he's doing, I'm asking my brother George Rangel to lift his voice and dismiss us tonight.